Hello and welcome to the Bicom podcast. I'm Samuel Nerding, Bicom's research associate. It's the 15th of March and I'm delighted to be joined today by one of Israel's sharpest minds on regional affairs, Professor Ayal Zissa. Professor Zissa is the Vice Rector of Tel Aviv University and has served in many leading roles there, most recently as Dean of the Faculty of Humanities. Professor Zissa, thanks for coming back onto the Bicom podcast. Thank you. Let's start with the uh, ongoing nuclear talks in Vienna. Um, prior to the Russian invasion in Ukraine, reports suggested that a deal between Iran and the US was close to being signed, but talks since have slowed, supposedly due to new Russian demands over US sanctions. However, this morning we heard from Moscow that it has received written guarantees that its cooperation with Iran would not be impacted by Western sanctions. It'd be good just to kind of get your overall take on, on what you think the chances for a deal being finalised in Vienna are um, and what you think this means for Israel. Well, first of all, uh, the common wisdom is that eventually an agreement uh, will be signed because the Americans, this is to say the, the Biden administration, is eager to conclude such an agreement with the Iranians. The Iranians are also interested. They are not showing this interest, this eagerness, but they, they want a deal. It's uh, good for the Iranian economy. So all in all, I mean, all parties uh, have an interest. All uh, parties uh, do want an agreement to be signed. It's mainly a question of time, maybe it's a question of the final uh, uh, paragraphs or details. Yes, the, 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 the Russian uh, interference or the, the Russian position uh, is uh, to a certain degree an obstacle. And this shows us that Russia is mainly after its own interests, not after, after Israeli interests, not after Iranian interests after its own interest. But I, I, I guess because the Americans do want an agreement to be signed and, and, and clearly what is happening in Ukraine only increase the need for such an agreement to um, close the Iranian file for the coming years. This is something that Biden administration is in urgent need for. So my reading is that eventually we'll We'll, we'll see an agreement. Um, I mean, we, we've heard on the one hand that Prime Minister Bennett has said that the deal which is likely to be signed in Vienna is bad for Israel. On the other hand, Defence Minister Gantz and other kind of security establishment officials have said a deal is better than no deal with no restrictions on Iran um, on, on its nuclear programme. Who, who do you think is right? Well, uh, first of all, there is no contradiction, necessarily a contradiction between these two uh, uh, positions. I, 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 mean, I mean, the Netanyahu government, Netanyahu had a very clear uh, uh, position. He uh, rejected the uh, agreement signed by the Obama administration. He uh, launched a campaign against Obama and against this deal. This didn't work out, and, and eventually an agreement was signed. Bennett, on the other hand, says, well, maybe we should uh, 
maintain uh, close contacts with the Americans, engage in a dialogue about, uh, with, with the Americans about uh, a possible agreement. I, I, I would say that, yes, an agreement, not every agreement, but an agreement is better than not having an agreement, but it is better when it comes to the coming weeks or months or a year or two from today. In the long run, we will uh, be left with, with, with the problem, but uh, with an agreement, without an agreement, it's, it's basically the same. We'll, 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 we'll be left with, with the problem, with the challenge of Iran getting closer and closer to become nuclear. The question whether there is an agreement or there is no agreement uh, be reached is mainly theoretical. It has to do with, without an agreement, Iran may uh, declare itself or, or, or become nuclear tomorrow. With an agreement, they can become tomorrow, uh, nuclear tomorrow because the agreement has nothing to do with the capabilities, with the knowledge, with the progress Iran made during the last several years with an agreement, they will postpone the declaration. They will postpone uh, moving ahead with, you know, uh, developing the, the, the weapon. Uh, they almost develop uh, uh, till now. So, so that's what we have. We have to live with what we yeah. have. Um, I'll ask you in a little bit about kind of Israel's, um, what Israel's been doing in, in the region. But just before we do, I'd like to kind of get your sense on the delegation of IDF officials in Washington. I think they, they left Israel Sunday night and they are in, in Washington, US to discuss Iran and next moves. What kind of things might the Israelis be asking of the Americans if or, or when a deal in Vienna is ultimately signed? Well, first of all, it's very good that there is a dialogue because uh, last time uh, Netanyahu uh, refused to engage in any dialogue and eventually Israel paid heavily. I mean, we lost billions of dollars that Obama was ready to give us and the, 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 the dialogue was not as an intimate as it could or should be. I mean, uh, the, the question is not only the nuclear capabilities. The question is the um, Iranian aggressiveness all over the region, in Yemen, in Iraq. We only heard uh, uh, the beginning of the week that the Iranian launched rockets against allegedly uh, Israeli training base in Erbil in uh, northern Iraq. So, so this is this is the question, and and in some of the cases, the Iranian respond to uh, what they blame uh, an Israeli attack on Iran by attacking the Americans. So the Americans are part of this conflict. It's not hidden conflict anymore, and uh, there is a lot to discuss between Israel and the United States. Not only the question of uh, the, the, the agreement, but what to do about Iran when it comes to other issues. Mm. You mentioned that, um, the, the Iranian attack uh, earlier this, this week um, on what, what they described as a secret Israeli site. 
Um, it's part of what we've kind of noticed over the last week or so is this kind of escalation, um, perhaps started with Israel reportedly killing two IRGC officials. And last night there was a suspected Iranian cyber attack on Israeli government websites. Do, do you think we're seeing the next stage of the Israeli-Iran conflict? Or, or do you think both sides still intend to keep, keep the actions below the, the threshold, threshold of, of all-out war? Well, I have to say that, you know, we are surprised every, every time, but, but things like that happened before mm. uh, the Iranian attack, Israeli uh, vessels, uh, the Iranian launch rockets uh, against Israeli positions in the Golan Heights already in 12, 18, 2018. So, 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 so there, there is nothing uh, new. Mm. And still, uh, when I said it, it, it's more of the same, uh, it's very sensitive. And we are not speaking about uh, exchange of declarations, but exchange of uh, rockets and bombs. So, so it's delicate. It's, we, we, we both, we and the Iranian, are playing with fire. And mm. this can explode. One day it could have happened, you know, years ago. It didn't happen. It can happen today. It can happen two years from today. But that's the problem when you when when you play with fire. And the two sides are playing with fire, uh, hoping that they will be able to maintain the level of the fire. Have you noticed a, a difference with, with Bennett as prime minister in terms of what Israel is prepared to do to, to, to push back against um, Iran in the region and perhaps even to tackle Iran itself? And, and to kind of, um, I, think, I think he came out in November last year and talked about kind of the head of the snake and, and actually targeting the head and not just, not just the body. So do, do, do you sense a, a change in, in kind of maybe in terms of its commitment and um, a commitment to actually uh, attack Iran. Do you think that's happened under Bennett or do you think it's very much more or less of the same since the, the BB era? I, I, I guess that uh, my, my reading is it, it's basically the same. And after all, it's the army that dictate these issues. Mm. Uh, the prime minister only approve. He knows nothing about targets, about uh, opportunities. So, so, so it's mainly the army that led Netanyahu to this policy. It was not the policy of Netanyahu. It was the policy of the army. Mm. The army, uh, the intelligence, uh, identify uh, and, and uh, open opportunities and uh, suggested uh, uh, put it on the table and eventually the government approve it. So, so it's the army, it's the intelligence, it's the chief of staff. Uh, and in this sense, I don't see any change uh, between Netanyahu and Bennett. Fair enough. Let's, um, let's talk about the conflict in Ukraine. It's, it's been clear since the start uh, that Israel has, has hedged its position regarding Russia and Ukraine. Um, it cited kind of several reasons to do so, um, security in Syria, uh, the Jewish communities in both countries, um, and obviously now its mediation role uh, that Bennett is pursuing. Do, do you think Israel has been justified to maintain its hedging strategy? It has had, or it has come under some criticism here, here in the UK and also in the West. 
it's uh, it, it, it's difficult because uh, Israel is not part of NATO, is not part of the European Union, is mm. not secure uh, uh, by you know uh, treaties and uh, and and it's in a very troubled region. Mm. And uh, it was always, you know, the Israeli position to identify with support uh, when it comes to the United Nations and things like that, but, but, but not to get directly involved in the, in the conflict and, and um, taking uh, action. I think it's... Uh, it's something that maybe other are expecting from Israel, but uh, as in the case of Ukraine, you know, uh, once there is a war here, nobody will come and say, well, we'll, we'll uh, um, support Israel, we'll uh, provide Israel with help, we'll mm. defend Israel. No, uh, we will be left alone, like the Ukrainians eventually are being left uh, alone and uh, well uh, take for example turkey turkey is part of nato yeah and still you know it didn't impose any sanctions on on uh, on russia so uh, some other countries didn't impose any sanctions on uh, russia so yeah i was going to ask you i mean it seems that Israel's getting a pretty hard time in the Middle East, considering that other states such as Saudi Arabia and the UAE aren't kind of, or say playing ball, but aren't cooperating on the oil oil um, no, but, situation. But, uh, you know, also also uh, think about it. Our main enemy is Iran. Yeah. What is the European Union uh, stand on Iran? Do they support Israel uh, in? Uh, it's a struggle against Iran to a certain degree, but once there is an agreement and the suction will be lifted, okay, so why don't they support Israel mm. in, in, when, when it comes to Iran? Mm. Um, every country has its own uh, priorities, I guess. Absolutely. Um, Bennett is obviously one of many trying to lead efforts to mediate between Russia and Ukraine. Um, as someone who's well-versed in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and what it means to mediate a tough situation, do you think he has any chances of success? Um, you know, mediation kind of requires leverage. Does, does Bennett have leverage, leverage to make Putin compromise on his goals? Well, there are two, historically, there are two kinds of, uh, you know, mediation. There is what Kissinger did in this region, uh, you know, in the... Uh, 70s after the uh, Yom Kippur War, he didn't only, you know, travel between Damascus, Cairo, and Jerusalem and uh, deliver the messages, but he also, uh, you know, engaged himself and uh, put his own proposals and mm. uh, put pressure on. This is one kind of media. The, the other one is, you know, that the two sides are ready basically uh, 
to reach an agreement. They need only the, the one that will facilitate. So here it's the question of not getting too involved and not bringing uh, or putting on the table your own suggestion, but simply being the right man in the right place. And I, I, I guess Bennett's advantage is that he can play this role of being the right man in the right place. I mean, but only assuming that the two sides are ready for a deal. And if they're ready for a deal, they need someone. They need the place where they can sit together. They need, you know, somebody they trust. And you, Bennett, can play, play a role. So, I mean, you think getting Putin and Zelensky in the same room in Jerusalem would be an achievement in itself? I guess it probably would be, given the situation at the yeah, moment. Yeah, but, but, but they will not come unless there is an agreement. Yeah. They will not come unless there is agreement. So my point is that uh, unlike what Kissinger did, where, you know, people uh, didn't think it's possible and he himself forced all parties to sit together or to engage in a dialogue and eventually reach an agreement, here Bennett cannot do it. No. Really, he cannot do it. He can only achieve something if the Russians and the Ukraine are ready for a deal and need only the envelope, the place where they can meet, you know, the, the one that will help them, you know, finalize, but, but not more than that. Yeah. But perhaps I could ask you what you think is Putin's or what what you think could be Russia's like end game. Um, obviously, it's hard to get into the mind of Putin, but what would it take, do you think, to, to end the conflict? And do you think the Ukrainian president is able to give it to him? Well, it's very difficult because clearly when the war started, it was all about Ukraine and the level of control and influence, uh, the degree of control and influence uh, Russia will enjoy in that country. But now it turned to be a war about, you know, the, not only the image, but the, the uh, uh, domestic stability and yeah. uh, strength and, 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 and the standing of Putin within the Russian system. So the war is not only is not anymore about Ukraine, it's about Putin. Mm. And uh, he needs to to gain something so he can come to his own uh, people to the Russian people and say, well, we did it, you know, yeah. it's complicated things. And uh, I, I hope, I don't know, I hope that eventually if he will get, um, I think what he wanted was very uh, clear, you know, recognition uh, of the annexation of Crimea, uh, which he occupied in 2014, and the uh, eastern districts he occupied at the beginning of the war, uh, of Ukraine that he occupied in the beginning of the war and the commitment that uh, Ukraine wouldn't uh, join NATO and the European Union. This was at the beginning. Um, I, I hope that uh, if he gets it, uh, 
this will bring an end to the war, but maybe now he has other ambitions. Mm. Fair enough. Let, let's perhaps return back to, to the region. And last week we saw a pretty historic visit with President Herzog in, in Turkey. Um, to, to what extent do you think the visit will result in a perhaps new era between, between both countries? Well, uh... I, I, I do think that uh, it's a new beginning. Mm. Uh, we should be very careful about it because we already witnessed such new, you know, new beginnings in the past. But, uh, and then there was uh, an escalation along the Israeli border with Gaza and the Turkish reaction and statement by Erdogan. So, so we were in this movie or game before. This time, maybe because of the war in Ukraine and because other things, I think that Erdogan is more serious than uh, he was before, but uh, only God knows. <laughs> um. Perhaps we could talk a little bit about the Abraham Accords. Uh, it's been 18 months since, since they were signed. How, were you, have you been surprised about how successful and how quickly the bilaterals um, between Israel and UAE and Bahrain and, and Morocco have grown? Yes, I was uh, very surprised because first of all, the common wisdom was that there can be no breakthrough unless there is progress in the Palestinian-Israeli uh, uh, track mm. and the argument was that uh, well there are intimate relations but they are being kept secret and they cannot become public unless there is uh, a progress with the Palestinian first of all here we are uh, uh, signing a peace agreement while with the Palestinian you know there is a stalemate but the other surprise, much more important, I think that, well, yes, we, we have agreements, peace agreement with Jordan for almost 20 years, uh, 25 years, uh, with Egypt, it's almost 50 years or 45 years, but it's an agreement between governments and uh, there is no warmness there. And the argument is that the public, yes, the Egyptian regime uh, is in a need for uh, such an agreement, but, but the Egyptian public uh, reject or uh, is not interested in warm peace, in normal peace, in normalization with Israel. And here come the case where especially the Emirates, but also Bahrain, what we see is warmness and what we see is readiness and uh, enthusiasm, not only from the rulers, mm. but from the average men in the street. And these are very excellent news. Do, do you think there's, there's any appetite in the region for other countries to join? I mean, there was talk of obviously, maybe Indonesia, but mentions of, of other countries, um, particularly in Africa and, and obviously Saudi Arabia with I think there's a statement come out last week saying that Israel is no longer an enemy. Um, do, do, you think, do you think maybe the regional Russia and Ukraine and what's happening there could force Saudi Arabia to rethink 
its position vis-a-vis -vis Israel and the Abraham Accords? Uh, well, like I uh, exactly like I used to say before the signing of the Abraham Accord, uh, maybe, but I doubt it very much. That's my answer here as well. I mean, mm. when it comes to Indonesia, Pakistan, Qatar, Oman, maybe, but I doubt it because these are different cases uh, than the Emirates or Bahrain. But once again, we were taken by surprise. So maybe here too. Fair enough. Fair enough. And just finally, maybe we can just talk about the, uh, the Israeli-Palestinian situation. Um, it's been fairly quiet on the Gaza border, uh, and it seems that there's tension surf surfacing or maybe under under um, under the carpet in the West Bank. It's kind of maybe a juxtaposition compared to last year when obviously the Gaza border flared up. What's your situation of maybe both fronts on Gaza and in the West Bank? Is the quietness in on Gaza? Do you think there's something happening behind the scenes and we might reach some sort of long term hoodner or truce? Um, well, it's quite right now, but, you know, we have uh, three fronts. I, I would add to the two fronts you mentioned, also the domestic uh, front, the home front, I mean, mm. uh, Israeli Arabs and their relations with the Jewish majority and with the state. And as we saw only last May, uh, you know, things... Uh, well, everything is related to the other, you know, an mm. escalation in Gaza and then also riots and uh, unrest within the Arab sector inside Israel and then unrest in the in the West uh, Bank. So, and, and, and uh, nobody could expect or forecast such an escalation it's uh, delicate, it's very sensitive, it's a precarious situation vis-a-vis uh, -vis Gaza, vis-a-vis -vis the West Bank. Um, I don't see any interest um, when it comes to the Hamas to uh, engage in a new round of violence. Israel too is not interested, but in many of the cases, these were not, you know, the governments or the leaders, but, you know, the men in the street who mm. got up and have a Jewish settler or a soldier in his back or kidnapped, you know. And these things happen. And when we speak about uh, um, stable and stability, this is to say it's unstable, but quiet or we got used to, it can happen. Yeah. And do, do you think the, the government, the Israeli government is now more, um, I'll say prepared, but is more aware of, of like you said, how one front can, one front can cause all, other, all the other fronts to kind of escalate? So do you think in terms of kind of Jerusalem and we've also got Ramadan coming up in, in, in the next month or two, do you think the government has is more aware and is taking more measures to make sure that things things don't happen or escalate like they did last year. Yes, and also uh, this government, it's much easier for her because the previous government was, you know, had a base of supporters yep. and this base was the right wing. So uh, sometimes because of such political consideration, you took moves that, you know, 
can endanger or can uh, complicate the situation. This government uh, is not under such pressure, so it will be much easier for her to, and still having said so, it's hard to say. Professor Zissa, that was very interesting. Thank you so much for joining and we'll hope to get you on again soon. But thank you for your insights today. Pleasure. Thank you.